I am androgynous. I enjoy my own androgyny. What does being androgynous mean? What's that term all about? The term androgynous is an adjective and it's used to describe me because I am neither specifically 100% feminine nor specifically 100% masculine. And I have characteristics as well as the natures of both male and female. Meaning that I am capable of wearing gender neutral attire, masculine attire, feminine attire, and non-binary attire. And I have an appearance that is considered ambiguously gendered. I have mental characteristics that are not solely traditionally 100% male, nor solely 100% traditionally female. So I have the psychology of an intersex person. Even though I have um, testicles and a penis, internally I'm an intersex person. And there are plenty of people who live with the same reality as I do. So yes, I am a non-binary person, meaning that I feel like I am the type of person that consists of femininity to my masculinity. Meaning that um, I'm not the type of man that society is prepared for because I'm womanly about who and what I am. I'm the type of person that is capable of wearing unisex clothing.
And yes, I do face challenges as an androgynous person. Because even though most people look at me and think, man, the way I behave would cause many people to reconsider. Um, I am well protected from prejudice, bigotry, violence, and discrimination. Even though I'm not rubbing in the faces of people that don't have those protections and me speaking out is a way to let them know that they are not all by their lonesomes. And harassment is something that us androgynous persons are sensitized to. Um, There are times where I have been accused of not being masculine enough or not being masculine at all. When I say accused, I'm talking about um, they're victimizing me with their cis-heteropatriarchy. There's nothing wrong with being feminine or masculine or non-binary. I just want to say that. And there might be women who look at me and may think I may not be feminine enough. And to that I say, my my masculinity and my femininity because I'm a mixture of both, that's what makes me non-binary. So therefore, I I have well-rounded femininity, uh, well-adjusted femininity, well-balanced femininity. Um, and well-unified femininity. I have well-rounded masculinity, well-adjusted masculinity, well-unified masculinity, and well-balanced masculinity. That also means that I have overall a well-rounded non-binaryness a well-unified non-binaryness, a well-balanced non-binaryness, and a well-adjusted non-binaryness. I avoid unnecessary situations. I avoid mean-spirited questions. I avoid hazardous circumstances. I avoid evil-spirited situations. 
my gender, you know, gender roles, gender norms, and gender expression are not what the mainstream global society says it should be. Because the gender binary has been traumatic for me. The gender binary is marginalizing to me because of the poisonous emotional labor that they hurl at me. I refuse to conform to society's lousy standards of gender conduct and gender articulation. That is why, that's one of the reasons why I experience internal freedom. And I am faithful to my gender identities expressions. I am not stuck in the permanent binary because I reject society attempting to impose it on me and everyone else. And I'm thankful for my gender fluidity because I'm gender fluid. And I'm thankful for my sexual fluidity because I am sexually fluid. I am nuanced, I'm complex and nuanced when it comes to my gendered identification. And that is something I am quite elated about. So, I am the type of person that loves frequenting pride parades, waving LGBTQI plus flags, including rainbow flags. I love drag queens and drag kings. I love gay villages and gayborhoods. Um, I am thankful to be a part of LGBTQI plus culture. I'm thankful to be a member of the LGBTQI plus social movement. And I'm thankful that I'm around other members of the LGBTQI plus community and I'm thankful that I'm around LGBTQI plus friendly persons.
And to be even more honest, I have a drag queen aspect of who I am. A drag queen is me, usually a male that I am. Um, In other words, I'm using drag clothing, including makeup, to imitate, which I do at times, and I often exaggerate female gender signifiers and gender roles for entertainment purposes. I do I decided to do drag for reasons ranging from my self-expression to my healthy self-esteemed performance that will become mainstream due to my self-realness. That means sometimes I'll be at drag shows, lip lip syncing, live singing, spoken word artistry, talking from the heart, and dancing. So in the future, I'll be at... um, LGBTQI plus pride parades, drag pageants, drag shows, drag brunches, cabarets, carnivals, and nightclubs. So I'll be doing drag only occasionally with my drag persona because my drag persona is a part of my true personality so it's not a typical persona it's oh this is Antonio showing a genuine side of Antonio there's no disingenuous sides to my identity Drag refers to one of my entertainment styles which is my wearing stylized clothing. Most commonly it is my wearing women's clothing cross-dressing generally for my purposes of my performances. I, 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 I go by all gender pronouns, so I'm indifferent to which pronouns he's referred to me. As long as you do not refer to me as a non-human being, then teach their own.
Um, some people might say that I am into transvestism, which I think is a beautiful thing, even though I know that that term can be offensive to many in my community and those outside of my community. When I say outside of my community, I don't mean us versus them. So I adopt the practice of dressing in manners traditionally stereotypically associated with a different gender. For the most part, I tend to wear clothing that is stereotypically assigned to men. It has nothing to do with shamefulness. It has nothing to do with being guilt-ridden. It has nothing to do with being heavy-laden. And it it has never been to... Adopt stereotypical masculinity because that's never something that I've been innately desirous of. That's just what I've always wore. Um, and it was never out of queer phobia at all. Um, I just tended to wear clothes that Many people say, oh, that's what men wear. Even though that is, that can be queerphobic in and of itself, and that, and that is true. No particular reason. It's just the clothes I really, that I would wear just happen to be assigned to like cisgender men. Um, and at the same time, occasionally would I wear makeup, nail polish, um, sure, I don't mind doing that, I don't mind doing those things, um, Because I've acknowledged diverse aspects and diverse portions of who I am. Um, I'm just that free spirit as a person. And makeup and nail polish are not just for women. There are men and non-binary people. They use both, too. Would I be the type to have a purse or high heels? Occasionally. But high heels and purses are not just for women. 
men and non-binary people use them too. Not all men, not all women, not all non-binary people in terms of all these life realities. And for me, honestly, I would participate in ball culture, drag houses, and uh, drag families, and drag balls. And I'm never degrading women. I'm never degrading men. I'm never degrading non-binary people. It's not gender menstrual when it comes to me. It's not blackface. When it comes to me. And that's big reasons why LGBT Quet Plus bars and LGBT Quet Plus clubs would love to have me. And I do understand that I love the Drag Queen Story Hour that happens at parks, recreation centers, bookstores, museums, and libraries, you know, reading to the children, drag performers reading to the children. And it has nothing to do with making kids be certain ways. It's all about The fact that LGBTQ plus people, we're the most sensitive to children because as children, we were the most brutalized. So we hate any kind of indoctrination that is against human rights. Parents should not be punished in terms of exposing their kids to drag because it's not about you have to be a drag queen. It's, hey, this is an aspect of life. That doesn't mean that you can't be cisgender, but it doesn't mean that you can't be transgender. And awareness does not mean indulgence. When I say indulgence, meaning partaking, like actually doing it, experiencing it from a standpoint of becoming it. No. Um, Exposure doesn't mean it's going to be for everybody. Drag queens and drag kings and drag shows and drag performers do provide safe and creative environments for young children.
especially LGBTQ plus children, and it and they're both a source of both healthy education, healthy entertainment. So, minors attending drag shows is actually good. Um, drag has nothing to do with hypersexualization, and drag has nothing to do with perversion. And honestly, hypersexualization is most common in the cisgender heterosexual community, and perversion is the most common in the cisgender heterosexual community. There's a lot of projection and deflection that they do. And of course, most cisgender heterosexual people don't have those negative characteristics. And, uh, I agree with Marty. Gold Cummings when Marty said anyone who thinks drag is for children is wrong. Drag is expression. And children are such judgment-free beings they don't really care what you're wearing, just what you're performing. Marty's right. I agree with Nina West when she said Drag is an opportunity for anyone, including and especially children, to reconsider the mask we're all forced to wear daily. Children are inundated with implicit imagery from media about what is boy, what is girl. And I believe that almost all kids are really less concerned about playing with a toy that's supposedly aligned to their gender and more concerned with playing with toys that speak to them. I agree with John Casey when John Casey said, drag queens and drag kings and drag performers who are non-binary are incredibly talented and they are trying to live their lives in the process of brighten the lives of those around them. That's the message parents should be communicating to their kids at any age. It's all about acceptance and being loved for who you are. Now, of course, you're going to have the homophobes and the transphobes coming after me saying... Didn't you attend drag shows and drag brunches when you were five? Don't you think you um, should never been exposed to that? Don't you think those around you should be punished for that? And your parents should be punished for allowing that? I would say, one, I was always surrounded by adults. So that's why the LGBTQ plus drag performers didn't think to drive me home because they always saw me out and about with adults so I can't blame them for thinking that oh he's going back home with adults they assumed that oh that's his family though that he has caretakers so it's not their fault when I would take the train there or take the train back or take the bus there or bus back I would come I would leave I would enter with adults and leave with adults so it's not their fault at all 
And I would say that the drag shows did not have a negative effect on me at all as a kid. Um, Because it made me more compassionate. It made me more sensitive. It made me more gentle. It made me more generous. It made me more empathetic, meaning increased empathy. It made me more loving of diversity, inclusions, and belonging, and hospitality. And the drag performers were always nice to me. They never tried to make me them. They never tried to make me gay. They never tried to make me bisexual. They never tried to make me transgender. They never tried to make me a lesbian. They never tried to make me intersex. They never tried to make me what is called, societally speaking, a hermaphrodite. They never tried to make me androgynous. They never tried to make me a person into transvestism. And... They never tried to make me queer. They never tried to make me questioning. They never tried to make me two-spirited. In fact, the only conversations that we were have was about healthy self-esteem, being kind to self, and esteeming others well and being kind to others. That's pretty much what we would talk about. And of course... There were times where when they would read to me, I would read to them, too, because that's what we did. You know, it's like, can I read to you? And we would take turns reading to each other. We would joke and laugh, eat, chill, and then go home. Um, I remember um, growing up and when they would... They would talk about LGBTQ plus. It was always age appropriate. Never any adult language. Never any adult themes. Never any adult content to what they were saying. Um, it was an acknowledgement. Okay, you know, some guys like guys, some ladies like ladies. Some people come into the world thinking they're one way. Then as they learn about themselves, they learn that truly they were the other way the whole time. Notice that's how they talked about it. And they never, you know, they said, well, they even said that, you know, science says these things. And, you know, scholars say these things. And they told me what science and scholars are about. So... It was age-appropriate. I didn't think of it as a bad thing. I didn't think of it as an awful thing. I was never opposed to LGBTQI plus people, even when I was in the church world. From the age of five to the time I left church for good, which was technically February 27, 2022, last time I was in a worship service. Um, 
I never had any negative feelings towards any sexual orientations that were uh, not heterosexuality. I never saw anything outside of cisgenderism as a bad thing. I've always had a positive view on that, and that experience was a defining moment. Um, And some people would read my book and think, what about the people who, um, you know, the abusers who made you dress up like a girl and put nail polish and makeup? They were being homophobic. That's not the same thing as being a drag performer. Uh, Drag performers, by and large, hate abusers because they love children. So you can't compare... salad and ice cream and another thing some some transphobic homophobic queerphobic people are wondering did you ever see any affection you know public displays of affection yes and before y'all and they would get alarmed I'd be like uh uh it wasn't what you thought because they were around kids they did not kiss because they were sensitive to that. They said, well, you know, adults adults kiss each other, but we don't do that because um, we shouldn't do everything in front of children. And, you know, they were able to talk about kiss, meaning, you know, couples in love. They really love each other and they kiss, but they said not in front of the kids. And they all had this don't kiss in the mouth clause when it came to the children. So we never saw it. It was me, other kids, and their adults are around. So they were extremely age appropriate. I mean, no profanity, no adult comedy club type jokes were told. No adult subjects were ever mentioned. And... Religion and politics, they never talked about it. Those, they were like, no, we're going to focus on talking about things that are pretty lighthearted and G-rated. That's how they were. I remember, like, that often, and that's how they always were. And they were always pleasant, always nice, always had a kind word, smiling, goofy, appropriately speaking, playful, appropriately speaking, just the just the sweetest people. And so sometimes how often these drag shows and drag brunches? Well um about a few times a month I would just take the train and adults would just accompany me. And they made sure I went back home, so and none of these adults were my caretakers, it's just oh Adults gravitated toward me, so that's why I could go places and people didn't bat an eye because, oh, Tony was with grown-ups. So they didn't think that I was in actual danger. And then some people would say, what else has made you so embrace the LGBTQ plus community? I want to say this. Organized crime is not the same as LGBTQ plus people, and that myth should be obliterated. Now, let me keep going. So, the thing is, 
I remember experiencing LGBT code plus people who were undercover, meaning shielding their true identities in the organized crime world. So there were criminals who kept their LGBT quiet plus identity secret. Now, most LGBT quiet plus people lack criminal records, meaning they don't commit crimes. Most LGBT quiet plus people were law-abiding, decent humans. Um, I'm just talking about the particular world I was in. Um... I I know that some queerphobic people would say, didn't you say you were exposed to, like, gay sex and trans sex and all that stuff? I would say that most gay people, most transgender people don't do adult things around children. Because what happened to me is, is severely abnormal. And not and just because they did that in front of me, that doesn't make all gay sex bad. But I, you know, I think gay sex is good. I think trans sex is good. It's just that particular world I was in. It wasn't good for me to see that. It wasn't good for me to see the heterosexual sex and cisgender sex either. That I was exposed to me too. And the queer phobic people have nothing to say about that. So. Yes, I saw those things, but that doesn't make LGBT quite plus bad. Because it's not about their gender identity, sexual orientation, sex characteristics. It's about they were criminals. That's what should be focused on. They were breaking the law. Um, And so I would say what I saw in the organized crime world, it made me more open-hearted to LGBTQ plus people. It never made me LGBTQ plus negative. It, in fact, it drew me into the LGBTQ plus positive direction because I was like, thinking to myself subconsciously, no one should have to hide who they are. And I honestly think, I'm not excusing what I saw, um, but I can also say that the queer criminals never made me gay. I'll tell you why. Naturally, biologically, I find women to be the most attractive human beings all around. Therefore, the second most attractive people to me are are men, and the third attractive most attractive people to me are non-binary people. That's how my biology is. So I am proof that some of the people who raped me were men. They didn't make me gay. And I was going to 
be who I am with or without all those experiences I just told you about when I was five. I could also say that at the drag bunches, I do remember that it was the most yummiest food. It was the yummiest food, the the most delicious food I ever had. And no, they did not serve me alcohol. They never served... They didn't even like giving kids soda. They were so health conscious. Like, we would eat um, the type of meals that parents would prepare for their children, make sure their children eat healthy. That's what they would provide. We would eat vegetarian-type food, vegan-type food, pescatarian-type food. And even gym rat type food, you know, we would eat that healthy and they was and they were big on making sure we would drink a lot of water. So, of course, I was constantly running to the bathroom as a result. But and I would and my urine was clean because my urine was clear and clean because of them. They wanted to make sure that we mostly drank like cold water. Um... They they would have us drink juices here and there, but it was like water. And they would have and they would honor everyone's allergies, from what I remember. And um I can also tell you that no one ever got food poisoning. No one ever got allergic negative reactions. It was Everyone's allergies was discussed without violating privacy and our confidentiality. And because we were open about what our allergies were or not, they made sure, okay, we sat around and we ate and, you know, mostly water, you know, occasionally milk, but it was just water, water, water. So we ate pretty well and parents were nice to me. I was nice to the parents and, um, you know, I remember being in the gay-friendly, trans-friendly parts of D.C. Um, and I remember even when I was five, when I was known as Tony on the crime world, the LGBTQ plus community loved me. It was cool. There was my, there was my homies. I looked at them as my buddies at the time. That's how they saw me. And some people go, I read in that one part of the book where you talk about how they put you in a LGBT club plus club. I would, I can explain that. I would say I never saw anything adult related in that particular uh, LGBT club plus club. It was a club, but because I was there, they didn't do anything that they would normally do when a kid is not around. That I can tell you. So, plus, there were adults who took me. It was, they just wanted to show me around, and I never saw anything that a kid shouldn't see. I never heard anything that a kid shouldn't hear, you know? So, the LGBT plus community I was around, they respected um, children. 
none were abusers, none were rapists, none were violent, none were criminals. That I can attest. Um... Okay, I am I'm pangender, as you know. Pangender is a form of multigender in which I experience all genders. It is a it is my non-binary gender that refers to my vast and diverse amount of genders in the same person, me, as an individual that does extend infinitely. I as a pangender individual do experience these genders at the same time and they are fluid between me. The intensities of my genders do fluctuate. I am a large number of genders to many to count. I am all known genders. My gender experience goes beyond the known genders. I have infinitely many genders. I have one all-encompassing gender. I also use pangender to refer to not caring about how gender slash how others view me. The Greek prefix pan refers to everything or all. In a sense, I'm omnigender. Because I do experience all genders. Sometimes I feel like they're building blocks to one whole gender for me. Sometimes I treat them all as one gender. I do care about my genders and what category my gender is so people won't feel like they couldn't try to understand. And um, some people say that I experience almost every gender, but not quite. That wouldn't be me. I'm definitely omnigender and pangender. There are times where I'm ambivalent towards gender, and there are times where I do not care about what my gender is, what category my gender is. Sometimes I feel that way. Some mixture of omnigender. And pangender. I used to feel like I didn't quite experience almost every gender, but now I see differently. Um, And to summarize it, the science is clear and conclusive. Sex is not binary. 
transgender people are real. The science is clear and conclusive. Sexuality is not binary. Gay people are real. I must admit that as a child, I went to kid-friendly LGBTQ plus pride parades and kid-friendly LGBTQ plus pride events. Um, there were the type where it was G-rated language and G-rated behavior occurring. Now, of course, grown folks in LGBTQ, grown folks in the LGBTQ plus community, they were the type that if they did have adult pride parades, adult pride events, meaning just for grown folks, whatever they did in terms of drinking or nightlife or how they really would talk to each other, we, us kids, we were kept from all that. The only time we were around LGBTQI plus adults, it, it was for kid-friendly functions. And I went to LGBTQI plus clubs when I was a kid, being five years old, but they were friendly to um, children, meaning G-rated lifestyles were lived out. And of course, grown folks at the LGBTQ plus bars, whatever they did between adults, we never heard anything, we never saw anything. So they were so G-rated, we didn't hear or see anything kids shouldn't hear and see. We didn't smell or taste or touch anything that kids shouldn't smell, taste, or touch. They were that good at being um, family-friendly to us. And... Um, I'm happy that I get to go to, now I get to go to LGBTQ plus clubs, LGBTQ plus bars, LG, you know, pride events and pride parades. I'm so happy about that. Um, I also want to say that um, gay sex is good, straight sex is good, trans sex is good, um, cisgender sex is good. I just wanted to say those things on record. Because I'm good at discernment, also known as distinctions, also known as differentiations. Um, So that's how life was for me around that time. And uh, I have to be honest about something. I'm attracted to women from 
Asia. I'm attracted to women from Africa. I'm attracted to women from North America. I'm attracted to women from South America. I'm attracted to women from Antarctica. You know, I'm attracted to women from Europe. I'm attracted to women from Australia. I'm attracted to women from Eurasia. I'm attracted to women from Afro-Eurasia. I'm attracted to women from Central America and America. Let me be more honest. I'm attracted to men from Asia. I'm attracted to men from Africa. I'm attracted to men from North America. I'm attracted to men from South America. I'm attracted to men from Antarctica. I'm attracted to men from Europe. I'm attracted to men from Australia. I'm attracted to men from America. I'm attracted to men from Eurasia. Uh, I'm attracted to men from Afro-Eurasia. I'm attracted to men from Central America. I'm attracted to women from the Middle East. I'm attracted to men from the Middle East. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Asia. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Africa. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from North America. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from South America. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Antarctica. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Europe. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Australia. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from America. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Eurasia, and I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Afro-Eurasia. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from Central America. I'm attracted to non-binary adults from the Middle East. I'm attracted to men, women, and non-binary adults from Spanish-speaking countries. And I also want to say that I'm attracted to men, women, and non-binary adults from all the islands that are within Africa, Antarctica, Asia, Europe, North America, Oceania, South America, from all the ancient islands and just all islands in general. Now, I have to tell something Some of my personal partnerships that include men, I 
refer to them as daddy. And that's a good thing because I do not have any daddy issues myself. It's not incestuous. And I'm not looking for father figures. It's all about them being assertive, supportive, and caring. It's about enjoying those relationship qualities. My submitting means that I have the real power. All the cards I hold, what's not okay, what is okay, is totally up to me. And because they're dominant, their pleasures derive from me explaining my likes and dislikes. Complete trust and total open communication is what we have. That's our base. It's healthy dominance, healthy submission. And it has nothing to do with trauma induced histories at all. It's about healthy vulnerability, healthy sacrifice, healthy surrender. It's healthy role-playing, healthy power exchange role-playing. It's a permissive way, safely speaking, for me to be totally open to another person and to love their authority and it's just another type of non-sexual role playing sexual role play for me because the, the boundaries of our safe consensual steamy and loving adult relationship is perfectly fine perfectly normal perfectly natural perfectly healthy and um It's how we express our sexual. It's how we express our pleasure, experience sexuality. It's how we experience our pleasure and express our sexuality. Because um, safe spaces, safe graces are the father figures. It's we're loved and safe, so that's why we do it. And some of my male sex partners, men, some of them call me daddy for this, all the same reasons. Um, some of my women <laughs> sex partners call me daddy for all the same reasons. 
some of my women partners I call mama for all the same reasons. My non-binary sex partners I would say that we call each other um, and I call them my my parents and my caregivers to respect their gender neutrality and this is what we call each other for all the same reasons now what do the women call me So I already talked about how what the men and I call each other with the non-binary dots. We call each other parents and caregiver. It's like the women who call me daddy, I call them mama in return. That's just, we call each other the same names. Men, women, non-binary dots, same old things. For all the same healthy ass reasons. <laughs> and that is motherfucking beautiful to us damn it (laughs) that is our fun shit now in terms of body types let's start with women I prefer women that society calls plus size full figured I know those terms can be offensive sometimes it's hard to know what to call women who are not the petite enforcement that society says women should be which I strongly disagree with um in terms of women's skin colors, I prefer dark black skinned pigmentation. Um, men, in terms of body types for men, uh, I do prefer strapping and thick set body types. When it comes to men, I prefer dark black skinned pigmentations non-binary adults I prefer them to be a mixture of of 
strapping. and opulent in terms of appearance we're not talking about wealth I'm talking about plenty of meat and thickness curvaceous shapeliness so to speak personality types I prefer Introverts and ambiverts. I'll take an extrovert. I'm okay with extroverts. And that goes for men, women, and non-binary people. so proud of myself for being real I'm gonna be a global icon as you already know but one of the reasons I'll be I'll, I'll be a global icon in two of the countless innumerable ways in LGBT quad plus pornography and Cisgender had a sexual pornography too. Those won't be the only porn genres I star in, and you already know the other ones I'm willing to do because I talked about it so many times in previous episodes. It was hell of a time and a good way for me to share those ideals of mine. Um, real quick, when I was in the organized crime world, the, re- the reason why I was never publicly outed or talked about in terms of my time spent in the organized crime world was because um, there was the street version of a gag order, um, meaning that They were considering to put hit put hit outs to put a hit out on um, Channel Nine, Fox Five News, and Washington Post. If I was ever broadcasted to the DMV world as an organized crime figure, and that originated from the the quote-unquote bodyguards, the killers I've been telling y'all about, and as well as the criminal sympathizers, basically the the bodyguards for the bodyguards, and they would bodyguard me together, bodyguarding quotations. So that's why I was never publicly talked about. Also, I was never publicly talked about because there were million-dollar contracts on people's lives if they did talk about me publicly in terms of my crime in terms of the crimes that people had me do and me had no choice but to do them 
And also, people were afraid to privately talk about me because the criminal sympathizers and the killers been understood. You will not breathe again if you're caught privately talking about Antonio, meaning me. So they said Antonio, you know, meaning me. And if people probably talked about, which I think they did, they spoke in very soft, exceedingly soft, gentle whispers. You couldn't talk about a normal conversation out in the open because people would hear, street people would hear, then they would tell the killers and the bodyguards we would get killed. They didn't want that. So there were some people who disobeyed that and got killed by the criminal sympathizers and the killers. Because they were trying to report me to the news, report to the police, and report me to journalists. They even said, if any journalist says anything about Antonio, Antonio actually, that was my street name, as you know, they were going to gun them down. Fortunately, that never happened. Um, that world is a vicious world. It's not a world to enter or ever be involved in. Um, it's not the type of world that anybody should ever feel like they have to be a part in. There's a nice set of memories about that world. Now I'm going to talk about uh, religion. Before I get to religion, by the way, I like men, women, and non-binary adults who are omniverts. Just wanted to add that in there. But here's my last statement about about religion. The question is, why did God wait so long to send Jesus? There exists a messy plot hole in Christian theology that presses the point about why God waited so long to execute, quote-unquote, his plan of universal salvation by the blood of Jesus, the one Christians call the Christ. We can almost imagine Jesus waiting in heaven, watching what was going on, and practically begging his father that it was time for him to go to earth to save humankind. Instead, century after century of chaos and suffering ensued. Then it says, for unknown reasons, God not only allowed the fall, he then allowed the post-fall, flawed earth full of suffering situations to persist for millennia with generation after generation inheriting the punishment for something that happened before recorded history. We are expected to accept that he had grand we are expected to accept that he had a grand but mysterious plan to give humankind another chance out of the fall from paradise that for unknown reasons required amongst other things. Not communicating openly with humans like in the pre-fall days, instead mostly communicating via prophets with a limited audience and allowing other religions to arise flooding the world to wipe out the majority of Earth's population despite omniscience, we're told he regretted making whatever non-literalists think this omniscital story symbolizes. 
So apparently, the sinless God repents. Apparently, the perfect God has remorse for what he did and allowed. Ugh. Taking away humanity's common language to limit cooperation, communication, or whatever non-literals think this story of imposed division symbolizes, cultivating a chosen people from the descendants of a guy willing to kill his kid on command rather than just treating all humans and all animals and all rodents equally, or whatever non-literals think this story about rewarding attempted filicide and treating one ethnicity differently to other symbolizes, Allowing that chosen people to become enslaved for generations, eventually freeing them and helping them conquer a new homeland through genocide or whatever non-literalists think that symbolizes. Setting rules for the chosen people that allowed slavery and encouraged sexism but banned harmless realities like homosexuality, transgenderism, working on the Sabbath, and wearing mixed fabrics. Why is any of why is any of this is necessary for omnipotent being to redeem humankind? What logical reason could there be preventing an all-powerful God from redeeming humankind sooner rather than messing around with this shit stuff, if you will, and waiting until the first century CE to make his big ass move? Christians will say that God had a good reason for delaying Jesus' mission, but skeptics will see this plot hole as a good reason to doubt the existence of Yahweh and Jesus, and it seems impossible to believe that omnipotent divine beings could be this incompetent. Wow. I've had I've had these same ass questions in my goddamn self. Um, there's no fucking sensefulness regarding all these things because it's like the amount of slavery time. Over 400 years, blacks were oppressed. Over 400 years, God didn't send another prophet until Jesus came along. So, in those 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament, people were being raped. People were experiencing domestic violence from their spouses. Children were being abused. There was adult abuse and Jesus didn't come beforehand and Jesus didn't come when black people were experiencing legal slavery and legal Jim Crow segregation. Mm. You would think the site of the plantation would cause Jesus to emerge himself, but that did not prevail. Mm. Sometimes I wonder, would Jesus have called on the angels to stone the plantation owners 
where Jesus have taken the guns from the 19th century and shot the men who were uncomfortable talking with their wives in public in the first century. ask those questions because I wonder how Jesus would behave in each and every century.